Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us in worship this morning. If you're new to Hub City, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like to hear more about our vision, or if you're interested in joining one of our serve teams, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word Hub City to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. While we break for community groups during the summer, we'd love for you to stay connected through men's and women's groups on Wednesday nights at 6. Our backyard movie night has been rescheduled, and we hope to see you this Friday night at 6.30 to watch Super Mario Brothers together. We'll have popcorn and candy, so feel free to bring blankets or chairs or anything else that would make sitting outside in the Florida summer enjoyable. It's such an exciting time in the life of our church, and we are so thankful for the growth that the Lord is giving us. To help accommodate those looking for seating during service, it would be super helpful to keep in seats open so our ushers are able to easily find seats for those coming into the service. Kids are always welcome in service, and we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. All right. Well, hey, good morning again. My name is Tad Anderson. I am the lead teaching pastor here at the Hub City Church. And on behalf of our church family, we're so glad you're here to worship Jesus with us this morning. I got a few announcements. I need to flow through real quick before we get to the word. Uh, the first one is, hey, we have this thing called Men's and Women's Ministries. They meet on Wednesday nights. Um, they, we alternate. Um, men meet one week, women meet the next week, and we do that because we have a lot of kids. And so uh, we need to watch our kids while our spouse goes to men's or women's ministry, respectively. Um, if you've not joined us in this yet, we would love for you to do that. It's a way that you can get connected very quickly uh, to this body, uh, especially during the summer while we don't have community groups going. And this upcoming Wednesday is men's ministry, and it's a little bit special this week. We're going to uh, cook out together before we have our, our uh, meeting. So if you like burgers and I don't know, maybe some brats or something like that, then you should, uh, you should come eat. Uh, so this would be a great opportunity, guys, for you. Um, if you've been here a while and you just haven't jumped in yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. Um, if you're just joining us, please come and join us. Uh, this is on Wednesday night. It's, uh, it's great. It's a great time. We, we really enjoy it together. We sing together. Uh, we pray together. We learn together. And so, yeah, this is, uh, if you're a man, this literally exists for you. So if you don't come, you're not coming to the thing that exists for you. We're doing it for you. I mean, for us too, but, but it's for you. So please, guys, come to this. It's a really good, uh, really good time, and we're going to give you burgers this week. So, all right. Um, next, as my lovely wife said in the welcome video, we do have our backyard movie night uh, coming up this Friday. Uh, we're praying that it doesn't rain. And uh, yeah, it feels like it rains every day this summer. And so we're going to do our best to plan uh, accordingly. If it's looking like it's just going to downpour on Friday, uh, then we'll, we'll let you know about that. If not, then we're going to go out there and we're going to um, try and be as comfortable as we can in the Florida summer, as she said, uh, and, uh, and watch Super Mario Brothers because uh, it's supposed to be really good and we haven't seen it yet. So, all right. So that's, that's the next thing. Uh, number three. Band and production interest meeting uh, is next Sunday after service. If you are musically inclined, we would love for you to come to this um, so that you can uh, hear more about our worship band and potentially using your gifts uh, to serve uh, on that particular team. Or if you're just uh, waiting to hear about a serve team uh, that you could jump into and, and serve on and be a part of, uh, production team also needs volunteers and uh, no, um, no talents required for that. They will train you uh, on all the things that you need to do for that team. So we'd love for you to, uh, if that, any, either of those things interest you, please come to the interest meeting next Sunday after service. And the final thing is uh, we are having beach baptisms 
and kind of flipped around on, on the date and the location and everything. Officially, uh, we are going to have those on August 6th at uh, Henderson Beach State Park. Is that the order of that? Anyway, at, at Henderson. Okay, so um, yeah, if you're interested in being baptized and you've not talked to me or one of our elders yet, we would love to uh, talk to you about that. Um, if you have told us that you want to be baptized, this is where we're doing it uh, in the date that we're doing it. On. So just wanted to let you guys know, we normally make it a big, uh, big celebration uh, because we read in Scripture that it's a celebration in heaven when one sinner repents, when they go from death to life. So we celebrate that too. So uh, we'd love for you all to join us there at Henderson. And we'll, uh, we'll get all the logistical information out via social media, the app, and everything like that so you know where to show up to, what time, and all of those things. All right. Did I get it all? I think I got it all. That was a lot today. Uh, all right, well, we're moving along in the book of Ephesians, as you know. Uh, we've titled this series, Life Together in Christ. The first half of the letter is a lengthy and beautiful articulation of gospel doctrine. The back half of the letter is mostly application of that doctrine to individuals, families, and churches who are doing life together in Christ. I can almost do that without looking at my notes now. I say it every week. So uh, we, we began the second half of the letter last week uh, by discussing this overarching principle of walking in a manner worthy of our calling. And the calling being referred to is the calling to be disciples of Jesus and ambassadors of his gospel. And so uh, to just put it plainly, the command from the Apostle Paul to walk in a manner worthy of your calling uh, is an exhortation to simply live consistently with what we claim to believe, namely that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. And now, for the remainder of the letter, the instruction that Paul is giving is really him expounding on the specifics of how we're to do that practically, right? The first thing we read uh, last week in verses 1 through 6 was that we are to strive to maintain our unity together as the body of Christ. But today we're going to see that the Lord has not only unified us in the gospel, He has made us a diverse group of people, and that that is a really good thing. So as always, uh, let's start by reading our passage, uh, and we'll ask for the Lord's help in prayer after that. Just so you know, I'm, I'm going to start all the way back in verse 1, so we get kind of the whole flow of this. All right, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, um, waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head." And to Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, God, you are so good. We, we thank you for this day and this time together as the, the church to make much of you and your faithful plan to save us through the person and work of your son, Jesus. My prayer this morning is that we would be a church who understands that we have not been saved to sit, 
but we've been saved to glorify you with our lives, both through the mission of making disciples as well as through the community that you are building among us. And God, while today's sermon, I think, is a lot that maybe many of us understand, would we consider whether or not we are applying it as faithful as we ought? For those who are not yet using their gifts for the sake of the body, would this passage, by your Spirit, encourage them to do so. Lord, you have made us a unified church, and we praise you for that. So would you instill in us not only the priority of unity, but the beauty and importance of diversity as well, for your glory and our joy and further spiritual maturation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, our American culture, in an effort to fight against the kind of collective sins of our past, has for the past uh, few decades become hyper-focused on diversity, right? And what they mean by that is, in a general sense, ensuring that all different kinds of people are represented and treated equally in all spheres of society. Now, um, I am not talking about the LGBTQ stuff that everything has become about in like the last 10 years. Okay, that's its own thing, and we'll talk about some of that later in Ephesians. But I'm referring to different, the different biological sexes and nationalities and skin colors. Uh, and those categories, our country has undeniably had issues in the past with inequality and unfair treatment. And it has been largely... A very good thing that our society has sought to correct sinful and hurtful biases, mostly towards women and varying uh, people of varying ethnicities. I think we can all agree on that. That said, the Bible and God himself is way ahead of this, as always, right? <laughs> uh, James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. That means literally anything that is objectively good in life is good, okay, because God is good and he made it that way, okay? Uh, the, the principle of diversity is no different. God loves diversity. Look at creation and you'll see this, right? When God made something like, let's just say, vegetation, okay? Um, he, he could have made it very cookie cutter, right? Uh, like St. Augustine grass and oak trees and sunflowers, and that's, that's it, you know, like a, like a toddler crayon drawing, you know, or something. Um, but that's not what God did. God made hundreds of thousands of varieties of vegetation, right? A lot of them are growing up in our parking lot right now. All, all different species of, of trees and grasses and vines and fruits and, and vegetables. He, he did the same thing with animals, right? And climates and cultures and people. Okay. Isn't it amazing that every single human being who has ever lived is made in the image of God. And yet we're so different from one another in a host of glorious ways. I say all that to say diversity was God's idea. And thus to the degree that it's understood biblically, it's a great idea. And we should marvel and celebrate it, right? That said, what we see in our passage this morning is that Jesus' church, while yes, uh, we are a diverse people physically, right, from all different cultural backgrounds, and we know that uh, that's Jesus' intention as he instructs us to make disciples of all nations who are unified together under one gospel. We're also a diverse group spiritually, we see in this passage, and that when Jesus ascended into heaven and sent the helper to us, that is his indwelling Holy Spirit, through the Spirit, we have been given, each of us, unique abilities that the New Testament refers to and defines as spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. And so the big idea 
from our passage today is that Jesus has not only gifted his church a glorious unity to maintain, but a beautiful diversity to mobilize. Okay. He's also gifted us a beautiful diversity to mobilize. Last week, I emphasized as strongly as I could that even though we're all different, Because we're now all disciples of Jesus, what we have in common trumps any difference that we might have that would otherwise divide us. Your age, your gender, your skin color, your socioeconomic status, your profession, your preference in hobbies or music, all of those things can be completely opposite from one another, like night and day. But Because we have all recognized that we are sinners in need of God's grace who have placed all of our hope and all of our trust in the perfect life, atoning death, and triumphant resurrection of Jesus who we now submit to as Savior and Lord and God. Because of that gospel, we are bound together, church. We're bound together in an inseparable way. We are going to, we said this last week, we're going to spend eternity together. Okay, And so we are expected to maintain this unity by extending the same care, the same love, the same grace that we have all received from Jesus to one another. And now Paul says that, interestingly enough, one of the most important ways that we maintain this glorious gospel unity is by mobilizing our spiritual diversity, okay? That is, putting our unique spiritual gifts to work for the benefit of one another. We see this supported in in great detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so uh, we're going to reference that chapter several times this morning for that reason. Listen first to what it says uh, in verses 4 through 6. Again, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but... It's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I know this may seem elementary, but God gives us spiritual gifts so that we will use them. (laughs) So we'll use them. It says he empowers them in everyone. In the pastoral epistles that Paul wrote to his apprentice Timothy, listen to how he encourages Timothy regarding his gift. In 1 Timothy 4, he says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. In 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So you see, we, we were given diverse spiritual gifts so that we would identify and exercise them with vigor or mobilize them. And you might think, well, duh. <laughs> Is this a sermon from Pastor Tad or Captain Obvious? Okay, but, but friends, take a, just take a, a gander with me at our sad American church culture, right? The attractional, you know, mega church model, and in more recent days, the quote unquote, online church platform has seriously minimized the importance of this biblical principle. Church, what we see in Scripture is that the gospel does not make consumers and spectators. It makes contributors and participants. Maybe you've not ever thought of it this way, but what our text is saying is that the fullness of spiritual giftedness resides in Jesus. Okay, He has all the gifts. He possesses all the gifts in their perfection. And when He was resurrected and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, He distributed each of the gifts 
in unique measure and combination to different individual people who have become members of his body. Okay. Now, again, I, maybe obvious, but I think it helps to visualize an actual human body with eyes and ears and a mouth and arms and hands and fingers and a torso, right? Legs, feet, right? And so a group of people like us, we, we fill out Christ's body in order to carry out all of the spiritual function of Christ himself in the world together. This is why it's been said the church is the hands and feet of Jesus. Have you heard that? For the, for the 90s kids in here, it's like Power Rangers back in the day, right? They unite, they're united in their cause to fight alien bad guys, and they each had a unique specialized vehicle that could transform into one kind of big biomechanic fighting robot. 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 Why did I reference Power Rangers? Okay. One was an arm, one was a leg, right, etc. And they, they would all link up together when the enemy that they were fighting was too strong for any one of them individually. Okay. That's how it is with Christians too. The mission we've been given cannot be accomplished alone. It's too immense for any one of us. And the kingdom of God is multifaceted and it requires a diversity, a diversely gifted family to express and manifest the totality of its beauty. Okay. But much of American Christendom has forgotten this. Right? Many now view the church as a building that you attend, where a bunch of people come to observe the performance of a few, you know, really talented people, as though, you know, sermons and, and worship services are like a, a commodity that you consume, like your favorite TV show or restaurant or, or clothing brand. Guys, this is so far off from what is articulated in the New Testament. The church is not a building. It's people. Let me rewind that. The church is not a building. It's people. And while churches often have buildings, their buildings are just meant to be a resource that is used in large part, not for a select few leaders to do ministry and a bunch of people to watch, okay? But for the entire church, every member to be built up, and our text says, equipped by one another to minister to each other and to the lost world around us. That's what this is about. So if church... You know, it's all about consuming religious products and spectating and religious services to you. This probably won't be a church that you're going to enjoy very much, okay? Um, uh, I'm not one of the stars of this church here to entertain you up here. I'm just one of the members. I'm just one of the members, who's been given a gift by the grace of God to help equip you to do ministry yourself with your own unique gifts that I don't have. Church membership is not about consuming and spectating. It's about contributing and participating. Right? Members who don't understand this distinction wind up making the body as a whole appear dysfunctional, right? So if, if, if I were to walk in today dragging half my body in here, you know, <laughs> you would be concerned for me. I would probably get asked by all of you if I was all right. For good reason, right? Because it's not healthy or normal for body parts to just hang there lifeless, 
Even in something as simple as walking, the whole body is meant to be engaged. All the parts have a part. All the parts have a part. And the same is true for the church, right? So the Lord has given us a a beautiful spiritual diversity that we are to mobilize. And thus, we're not here to be consumers. We're here to be contributors. We're not here to be spectators. We're here to be participants. Again, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, that is spiritual gifts, since you want spiritual gifts, strive to excel in building up the church. That's how you do it, he says. That's how you find your spiritual gift. And so the, the next point in your notes is this. Every Christian is an individual member of Christ's body and thus has a divinely empowered, specific gifting meant to be used for the benefit of the whole. Okay. Now some of this we've already covered, but a, a couple things I want to draw out a bit more directly. The first thing is this. Every Christian is a member of Christ's body. Even if you're not a member of the church, technically, if you're you're a Christian, particularly if you became a Christian here, right? every Christian is a member of Christ's body, and thus every Christian has at least one gift to offer to the rest of the body. Okay. Again, 1 Corinthians 12 reiterates what our text says, but in greater detail here. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. Again, it reiterates this. To each, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, uh, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between gifts, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So again, think of the human body. Think of the human body. Because this is the metaphor that the New Testament uses over and over again, and that we need to get reincorporated back into the way that we think about a church. This is how the New Testament talks about a church. This is how we should think about a church, right? Um, you, know, <clears throat> you know what I'm really thankful for? Fingernails. <laughs> when I have an itch, nothing scratches it like fingernails. It's not something I think about very much, but when you need them, there they are. <laughs> God is a brilliant designer, isn't he? Amen. He thought of everything. You know what else is great? Eyelids. Eyelids are awesome. Again, who thinks about eyelids very much? Not me. Until you get sand in your eye at the beach and you need to you know, blink your eyes vigorously you know, to, to clean your eyeball, right? Because they do that. It's pretty amazing. Or when you lay down at night, exhausted. I'm glad those little guys are there to let me have some sleep, right? So uh, in the same way, some members of the church body might have gifts that we don't think about very much, but that we would be seriously missing if they were not here, right? Last week, we celebrated Gabriel Beam for the work he does in the sound booth every week. When he was asked by David, he wanted to say something to all of us. I love what he said. Couldn't have said anything better. He just said he was thankful for the opportunity to serve. That's humbling. That brother has the gift of humble service. And seriously, if he had not been using it for the last six months or so, it would have been really awkward when it came time for us to sing together. Because the words wouldn't be on the screen. Right? Here's another one. You may not know this. The Hub City Church has a security team. And the most visible thing they do is stand by the doors of the kids building every week at the entrance of the breezeway to ensure that 
No one's coming in and out during service who's not authorized to do so, right? I hope the members of that team don't ever have to do more than that. But you know what? They're there just in case. Okay. Members of the body with a God-given inclination to sometimes miss out on sitting in the worship service for the safety and protection of their fellow members who are sitting in the worship service, right? So that's the second thing I want to drill down on in this point, is that each member is to use their gifts for the common good, for the benefit of the whole. I've just given you a couple of examples of of lesser thought of members, you know, using their gifts, but this is to be the mindset of every member from the least to the most visible. The gifts that are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers, right? They're all very public leadership speaking type gifts. But as we've already touched on, even they are not used for their own sake, but for the sake of the other members being served through the equipping of the Word of God to do the various works of God that have been set out for them to walk in, right? I'm not going to get down into all the various kinds of spiritual gifts because today I'm just speaking more broadly on the purpose of and the importance of a variety of gifts, but it's commonly understood by most Bible scholars that there really is no singular passage that exhaustively lists all the gifts. And maybe we don't even have all the gifts in the Bible, right? Instead, we have a, just a, a few lists that are just illustrative of, of the more common ones that we see. Some of those are administration, apostleship, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues, teaching, shepherding, wisdom. Every one of these gifts has been given to individual members by God so that each one of them would exercise their diverse and unique abilities for the upbuilding of others. Okay. Now, you might notice that some of the spiritual gifts that I just read are actually things that we're all called to possess to some degree. right? But the reality is, some of us are just very observably gifted in them. Okay, for instance, we're all called to be hospitable. Some of us have the gift of hospitality. Those who do, we probably meet in your homes for a community group. So thank you for that, right? Another example is faith. We all have faith in a general sense. But some of us are just uniquely gifted in faith in order to bring others along in trusting the Lord through new or challenging seasons right? Or mercy. God has been merciful to all of us. We're all called to be merciful, but some of us are just uniquely drawn to and desire to comfort hurting people, right? Likewise, we're all called to grow progressively in our scriptural knowledge and wisdom, but some of us just have a real knack for referencing an applicable passage of Scripture or saying a fitting and helpful word at the right moment, right? But the reason, I could keep going on here, but the, the reason that Jesus has given all of those gifts in different measures to different people is, is not to terminate on themselves, but to be mobilized in the help of the whole body, okay? 1 Peter 4 encapsulates this. Peter says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Right? Biblical counselor 
Ed Welch makes a really helpful distinction here I think we need to think about. He says, persons searching for their gifts think that they can find their gifts in isolation from the body. They have forgotten that the orientation of God's people is outward rather than inward. The question should be this, how can I grow in love for and service to the body of Christ? Gifts are the way that we naturally love and serve. We're going to talk more about this next week, but as what says, the, the way that believers tend to figure out what their gifts are is just by getting busy, loving and serving the body in whatever opportunities they see that are available, right? And then as we go, our orientation facing outward, rather than trying to do some kind of like, like inward diagnostic or something, we, we actually discover as we're facing outward what we're particularly good at. The Lord reveals it in time as you just get busy, right? <clears throat> this flows into our final point this morning, which I think should be obvious, but nevertheless, no church member should have the aim of exalting self, but rather pouring out self for the collective exaltation of Christ. Okay. No church member should have the aim of exalting self, but rather pouring out self for the collective exaltation of Christ. Guys, we, we live in an age where so-called personal autonomy and individualism are some of the highest cultural values and therefore, everyone wants to, now wants to be put on a pedestal for how especially great they are at some thing. Social media has become a window into the prideful nature of the human heart in this way. The things that we post, even some of the most seemingly good and virtuous things that we post on the internet, I suspect deep down, are actually for garnering human praise and the stroking of our egos. We want people to tell us how awesome we are, don't we? I don't really see this being consistent with the gospel. We love to inwardly esteem ourselves on likes and comments about what a thoughtful spouse we are, or what a great parent we are, or what a funny guy we are, or what a pretty gal we are. For crying out loud, we are the generation that perpetuated the phenomenon of the selfie. <laughs> a term for turning the camera of your own phone around to capture a picture of your own face. And if we are not careful, that's its own problem. You need to wrestle with the Lord, friend, if you're taking a bunch of selfies, all right? That's for free. But if we're not careful, <laughs> sometimes I just say it's... Anyway. If we're not careful... This spirit will, and it does seep into the church, right? This is actually why Paul says so much to the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts. It's not because they're doing a really great job with them, because they're messing up. Because the Corinthian believers were beginning to use their gifts. They were a gifted body. Paul affirms that. But they were beginning to use their gifts not as a way to genuinely serve one another and exalt Christ, but to show off and exalt themselves over one another. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, in the very beginning, you can read it for yourself, but he says, you know, you, you might be a great teacher, 
You might be a great teacher. But if your desire to teach is not about your love and your, your desire to help people, but instead it's, it's about how much you love yourself and like to hear yourself talk, well, your teaching may as well be like a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or he says, you might have great, really biblical faith and see God move mountains. But he says, if it's not really about loving people, loving the people of your church body and, and seeing more people come to Christ, if it's not about that, but it's all about showcasing how, how strong and, and perfect you are through what you believe, your faith is useless. Not my words, Paul's words. The point is, just as important as it is to know that we have spiritual gifts and that we should be using them is our motivation or why we're using them. 1 Corinthians 12, again, in verse 12, sorry, verse, let's, let's just jump ahead. Let's go to verse 20. Paul says, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? And so one of the best ways to tell if you are using your gifts with the right motivation is by thinking about how you view the other members and their gifts. Regardless of how important or, or public your gift may be, do you place a high value and reliance upon others? People who are seeking to glorify themselves, they can do that alone. Reference social media, right? They can do that alone. In fact, they prefer to. But people who are really striving to glorify Christ, they know that they need the help of the whole body to do that. They need the whole church to do that. And that's what spiritual gifts are all about. We all, with our unique giftings, each of us, we, we represent an important but incomplete aspect of Christ. But if we want to see Christ magnified and exalted as he should be in his fullness, we'll remember that it takes the whole church pouring themselves out together to do that. Okay. In Jeremiah 9, this is helpful, verse 23 and 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This is Old Testament. Okay, but the principle applies straight across. Okay, transcends covenants here. The point is, whatever you're strong in, first of all, remember why you're strong in it. Remember why you're strong in it. It's not because of anything that you did. It's because Christ gave you the gift of himself so that you could exalt him. To act contrary to that and to look down on others who are less gifted in our particular area of gifting is to forget that every single one of us are who we are by grace alone. Okay. And thus, the most spiritually gifted Christians are also to be the most humble, servant-hearted, and apt to turn praise away from themselves and toward Christ. Because not only would we have zero spiritual gifting if it weren't for Jesus, we would not even be here. 
We would not even be saved if it weren't for him rescuing us. Okay. Therefore, our spiritual gifts used rightly are always to be about exalting our Savior together. Now next week, you may notice I didn't cover this entire text. Next week we'll come back to this passage. We'll talk more about how the individual members serving one another well. It actually ends with the whole body growing in maturity together. Okay, But today we're going to close here. And we're going to end our service by taking the Lord's Supper together. I, um, <laughs> I watched the, the Disney movie Encanto one night this past week with my kids. And the basic premise is this, okay? There's this Hispanic family who lives in south, a village in South America, and they have this magic about them that flows out of this special candle in the center of their house, and it gives each member of the family some special power that no other member of the family possesses. And then they, the, the goal is they're supposed to live together and serve each other. Does that sound familiar to you? one member has incredible strength another can heal people with her cooking another can talk to animals one can control the weather another can see future events before they happen and so forth but as the movie progresses you come to find out that there is a really unhealthy culture of fear and shame underneath the surface among them due to the leadership of the grandmother who pressures them all to be perfect And as a result, they all become very prideful and self-centered with their gifts. It's been out a while, so no spoiler alert needed. If you haven't seen it, sorry. But the, the unhealthy culture of the family eventually causes the house to start fracturing physically. The magic of the candle goes out and it all crumbles to the ground and they lose their power. But through this, in the end, they realize what was really most important was not being perfect and showing off their individual gifts, but simply being part of a loving family together. That's the most important thing. So in the end, they rebuild the house and the culture of their family to reflect that principle. I I love when I see gospel lessons in secular movies because ultimately every story has to flow out of his story. And it was just so obvious how the lesson of Encanto can be applied to the church. The diversity of our spiritual gifts is a beautiful thing. And we're called to use them zealously for the good of the whole. But at the end of the day, we have to remember that none of our gifts are about how great we are. They're, They're about how great Jesus is. And thus, they should lead us to be thankful, to be part of his grace-filled, loving family. Jesus teaches his disciples this lesson in Luke 10. He had sent them out to go proclaim the gospel in the surrounding towns. It says in Luke 10, it says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I love how Jesus does this, right? Disciples are focused on the wrong thing. He's like, let me correct this, right? He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice in your giftedness. That the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The Lord's Supper is a time of remembering together whether we're a pastor who has a a public teaching gift or, or we're a new believer who's not even sure what their spiritual gifts are yet. Right? We are all part of the same family and the body of Christ because of the atoning work of Christ on the cross where he paid the full price for all of our sin so that we could be forgiven and our names could be written in heaven.
That's what the Lord's Supper is about, remembering. The bread and the cup represent His body and His blood broken and poured out for us. And we're told by Jesus to partake in them regularly as we await His return so that we don't ever forget about what got us here in the first place. Not our gifts. Not our gifts. Nothing that we have done but His grace alone. If you believe that, that means you're a Christian and you're welcome to partake of the Lord's table with us today. If you're not a Christian, please don't feel obligated to do this. There's no, this isn't like the Encanto candle or something. There's like no special power in this. The special thing about it is what it represents to us. That is what Christ accomplished for us in the gospel. Okay, And so instead, we just ask you, if you're not yet a believer, to just consider this gospel that we've been talking about all morning and the gift of grace that can be yours in Christ alone. Also, if you need prayer, our elders, some of our elders will be up here up front to pray with you if you need that. So let's pray, and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. Father, (laughs) you are so incredibly wise. God, thank you for how humbling the message of the gospel is, the message of our need for your grace. But God, then how you continue to humble us as you bring us into this gospel family where none of us is here to be exalted, but we're all here to use the particular manifestation of grace that you've given us for the building up of the whole. God, thank you for that. Thank you for spiritual gifts. Thank you that you have uniquely distributed those to each of us as you saw fit by your spirit. Father, I pray that we would be a church not that gets obsessed with what particular thing we think we do really well, but a family who just loves being part of the family of God and who all serve and love one another and who in the end, discover what things they might be particularly good at in regards to helping one another. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you went to the cross, despising our shame, so you might make us part of your body and your family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When you're ready, you can get up and come on down and partake of the Lord's Supper.